is Pat Solver with the Dr. Ways In, and today we're going to talk about what's in the mouth. Um, I'm fond of saying that somehow um, we've ended up with a whole separate system that takes care of our teeth and gums, that's the, the, the dental system, and it's almost like it becomes a separate body part. It isn't really integrated into the way we think about the rest of our body. And today we're going to make an attempt to put the mouth back into the body. And we have a very uh, interesting guest today, Deborah Lyle, who's a registered dental hygienist and is the Director of Professional and Clinical Affairs for Waterpick. And she's been in the dental field for, Deborah, I think it's more than 30 years now, and working as a clinician, an educator, a marketing manager, and a researcher. So she has a great perspective on issues related to teeth and gums. And uh, she's also um, published lots of articles in the field, and we're going to talk about some of that today, and contributed to uh, three textbooks. So welcome, Deborah. Well, thank you, Pat. And you're right. It is more than 30 years. I hate to admit it, but I'm pushing 38 this May. <laughs> so you started young. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. I think I was about four. <laughs> um, so I want to start out with a disclo- disclosure because I, I got a, an email pitch from Waterpick um, asking if I'd be interested in, in, in doing a story about the fact that you are now um, certified, Waterpick is certified or accredited by the American Dental Association. And I responded with interest because I actually was already a Waterpick water flosser user. Uh, in fact, my dentist had recommended it to me because I'm a, uh, I'm a flossing failure or a flossing hater, <laughs> whatever you want to say. Um, and so to prepare for the story, here's the disclosure part. Waterpick actually sent me a complimentary Aquarius designer series, Waterpick Water Flosser, to try out. And as it name, its name implies, it's actually much nicer looking than my older Waterpick, and it's actually a little smaller and, and, and lighter, too. And it has a whole bunch of, of, of attachments to do different things uh, inside my mouth that my other one uh, didn't have. So I've been very pleased with it. And I did start using it regularly, although I had a week out of town where I, I uh, opted not to take it with me, although I realized that you have a, a travel uh, water flosser. Um, but when I got back, I started in again, and then I went to my dentist. And I got to tell you, Deborah, I was pretty excited when my hygienist said that I had much less plaque and um, visibly decreased gun, gum inflammation. So I got a good report card uh, from my hygienist after um, spending time using my uh, water flosser. So even though I'm a string flossing hater, I really like using the water pick. So enough. It sounds like an advertisement, um, but uh, let's move on. I want to ask you, Deborah, some uh, pretty basic questions about flossing. Um, whether we do it with string or whether we do it with water, why why should we care about doing this? What's the relationship between um, keeping our teeth cleaner beyond brushing by flossing and our overall mouth health and health problems in the rest of our body? Oh, that's a great place to start, Pat. Um, the importance of cleaning or, or 
we like to use the word flossing. That's something that the dental profession has been using for a long time. But floss is actually a device, and it's not a verb. So the, the correct term is actually cleaning between your teeth, or as the ADA refers to it, interdental cleaning. And the reason we want to do that, the reason we want to get between our teeth is because the bacteria in our mouth get to settle down between the tooth and the gum, below the gum line, and they're undisturbed. They have the opportunity to sit there. They're called anaerobic bacteria, so no oxygen gets to them to try to control them. And they sit there very happy in their little matrix, and it's called plaque. Um, and some people may have heard it as biofilm, and they just get to mature. And if nothing is done to either disturb them or remove them, then we start to see the whole inflammatory process start because the bacteria trigger the body to fight it. And with that, we see those critical signs of inflammation. Uh, One of the first things you may see is bleeding. Then you can get swelling. There's redness, and in some cases, there, in some occasions, there can be some discomfort. But a lot of times, this happens, and nobody knows it's going on unless they uh, notice bleeding on their toothbrush when they're brushing their teeth. And that's one of the important things. So, getting back um, to the second part of your question, which was, you know, how does that impact the rest of our body? As this bacteria starts to grow and, and uh, proliferate and cause damage, the tissue, our gum tissue below the gum line, starts to become thinner. And with that, as the body's trying to control it, that inflammatory process starts to ramp up even more. And in that case, we get that the bacteria that's there can actually go through that lining of the uh, pocket, the area around the tooth, into the bloodstream. So we now we've got bacteria from the mouth that gets into the bloodstream, and that increases that inflammatory burden. And that's what the researchers have been finding. It's really quite interesting that we look at all of the systemic diseases, whether it's heart disease, whether it's diabetes, even obesity, uh, pulmonary diseases, whatever it may be, it's all related to inflammation and the body trying to deal with that. So now we add gum disease to that, and now we're pouring more bacteria into the bloodstream, and that just increases that burden on the individual. And then you get into the individual studies on how it impacts um, some of those other systemic diseases. And I will tell you, there has been uh, data where they have found um, oral bacteria, bacteria from the mouth, around the heart and in other areas of the body. Well, yeah, that's really interesting, and it shouldn't actually surprise us, except we've spent so much time thinking about, you know, the, the, the teeth and gums as being something separate. Um, so uh, tell me, um, how actually does water flossing work? How is it, it's mechanically different from what you do when you string floss, where you stick that, you know, pull the string down and try and kind of scrape the, um, the, the teeth clean, how, how is water flossing working? You know, that's, it's hard sometimes for people to realize that this water under pressure, it's hydrodynamic therapy. So it's hard for them to think that something solid like string floss could, not, could be compared to something like water. You know, what is this water doing? But the way the water 
flosser has been designed is it's got a motor, and this motor make, can, has a combination of pressure and pulsations. So as the water, you just fill up a reservoir that comes with the unit with water, warm water. You don't need to use any other kind of agent. The water goes through the pumping mechanism, and it comes out at a unique and controlled pulsations per minute and pressure based on the settings. And with that, it hits the tooth right by the gum line, and that's what's so nice. It's very easy to use, too. But as it hits that tooth, it flushes. And it's still got energy behind it, so that water now is forced below the gum line between the tooth. And because that gum tissue can move away, that water can just get down there. And remember, I said it was pulsating, which was a key, because now you're getting that constant pulsation and you constant moving away of the uh, gum tissue from around the tooth flushing out all that bacteria, and also the pressure can remove some of that biofilm or that plaque as well. And that has, it's, it's that simple on how it works. So it's what we call hydrodynamic therapy. And your listeners may be able to relate to it as uh, thinking about power washing your house or your deck. You know, you've got that force. The difference is within your mouth, we've got it controlled on the device, and it's also pulsating instead of a steady stream, which the pulsations are pretty important and key to that efficacy. And string floss is technique sensitive, as you said, getting that string down there. But if you don't really hold that next to your tooth and slide it down, you're not really accomplishing anything. And you cannot get down as far as a water flosser can. I had a periodontist tell me one time that he tells his patients that floss can actually be a weapon. If you don't use it right, you can really see a lot of damage. And there's something that we call floss cuts or um, areas of the gum tissue between the teeth that have just been lacerated from floss from people doing it incorrectly. Wow, that's interesting because my next question was going to be – so you're applying this water under pressure to your gums. Um, are there any side effects of water flossing? Can you harm your gums if the water pressure is too high? So you may not get cuts, but you may get some other kind of damage. And how much is the right amount? Can you, can you floss, water floss too much? <laughs> yeah, good questions. Um, no. I'm not aware of any side effects, and and with my patients using it myself, it is actually one of the more natural ways because you're just using water. Water is a natural um, element. The devices are all controlled, so you can never put that pressure setting up higher than it is on the device, so you're never going to go past the safe pressure range. So that's really interesting. And when, you know, when you um, asked me the question about, you know, how many times can you do it, I would say it's been about five, maybe six years ago, I had um, braces put back on my teeth because I was not a good patient originally and didn't wear my retainers like I was supposed to, just like some other people. And I am a hygienist, and I know better. But when I put those back on, now I actually had personal experience on using this with orthodontics. And I have to tell you, I use it anywhere from three to five times a day because nothing bothered me more than having any kind of debris or something in my mouth that just didn't feel right. So 
you know, especially with ortho, people use it quite frequently. But the good news is for people when they're busy life is that once a day for a minute is sufficient. And the reason I say that is because it takes about 24 hours for the, for the bacteria to start to mature again, to start to cause any problems. So as, uh, as I said, you can use it as much as you like. I don't think people will use it much more than that. But the good news for all those busy people out there is, one, it's easy and it's fast, a minute. And uh, you only have to use it once a day. So I'm glad you brought up the uh, orthodontia because I note that uh, my um, water flosser came with a bunch of different tips, and one of them is specifically for people who have braces. And I have to say, I don't have braces on my teeth anymore, thank heavens. And, um, <laughs> and yet, I use the flosser after I brush my teeth, and I'm amazed how much, I know it's going to sound a little disgusting, but how much stuff comes out of my mouth, even though I've just finished brushing um, with an electric toothbrush. So um, if you think brushing is enough, um, wash your mouth out once with the water flosser and you'll see why it isn't. Um, so what I wanted to do now is to, um, is to ask you, uh, how, how do you know that um, water flossing is actually better than using the string? I know that you've participated in a lot of clinical studies of the, of the product. Um, tell us about some of the research that um, can give us confidence that, that this really is a good intervention and um, might be worth replacing our, our, our other intervention, the string floss, with something like this? Yes. Um, this actually started from dental professionals. We, Waterpick attends a lot of dental shows, and the idea is that we want to educate dental professionals. Well, we started to notice in 2003-2004 that a lot of hygienists and dentists were coming up to the stand and asking us. They said, my patients will not floss. Will the water, water pick be a good alternative? And, you know, knowing what I know and my personal experiences, I can certainly say yes. It would be. However, that's not how you answer those types of questions. The important thing is to step back and say, okay, here's a research question. Is the water pick water flosser as effective as string floss? Can it be used in place of string floss? Therefore, you have to do research. So from 2004 until now, there have been five studies conducted, and I will tell you that they have been done at universities and independent research facilities. The first one was actually um, done by a dental hygienist up at New University of Nebraska. And the studies, all of them to date, have shown that, to my surprise, the first study is that the water pick water flosser was actually more effective in removing plaque, reducing bleeding, and gingivitis. And I'll be honest, I thought it was going to be similar, but I thought it was more effective. And, I, and then you can't stop there, because if you want to make some claims and you want to show people that something is effective, one study is not enough. So you start looking and doing more. And so we're up to five now and consistently get the same results. Remove more plaque than string floss, does it with different types of patients. We've seen it with in, patients with implants. We've seen it with patients with orthodontics. And I would tell you, those are, that one study with the orthodontics were, was on adolescents. 
So 11 to 17-year-olds were able to use that water flosser very easy and effectively. And the ones that were in the group that used string floss did complain quite a bit because they weren't happy being in that, in that particular group. But um, it was a way to show, yeah, there is a big difference here. We saw the differences in different types of patient groups um, and consistently over multiple studies that have been conducted. So, so Deborah, I did see those studies, and uh, and the results are impressive. But I did notice that uh, some of the studies—I I can't say that I saw it on all the studies—but some of the studies were actually funded by uh, WaterPick, and some of the studies actually you were involved in, and um, which raises a, a, a question of 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 bias. We see this all the time in um, in pharmacology studies and studies about drugs. Um, how do you respond to to that issue? I love getting this question because it is so misunderstood. When we look at bias within studies, there's multiple ways. Certainly there's funding. There's also in-house bias. There's also subject bias, which means you go out and collect uh, subjects that you know probably would respond better. Um, there's non excuse me, non-blinding, which means that the operator or the examiner knows what you're using, so may be biased in how they evaluate it. Um, there's also in-house data. So our philosophy, and I'm, I'm adamant about this, healthcare provider, that we provide the best quality research. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to work for a company that supports me on that. And we do several things. One, we follow good clinical practice guidelines, which are guidelines that are put out um, universally for all countries in the world. So anybody doing research, we have these good clinical practice guidelines. We follow those. Uh, the other thing is I'm involved because I'm the director of clinical research, and I want to make sure it's done correctly. But I never collect any data. I never choose the patient. There's an independent statistician. We do no in-house research and publish that. So all the data is collected by a blinded examiner, regardless of where we are, it is the data is collected and sent to the statistician. I have nothing to do with that. A statistician um, provides a report, and because the product works so well, we seem to get very good results, and it's all published. We, we submit everything out there to be published in peer-reviewed journals. So that also gives the opportunity for people to go back and look at it. And I, uh, we do and we support... Uh, following the ADA guidelines on quality research, and that is random controlled trials. So you randomly select patients and put them into different groups and make sure they're even. So number of women, ages, nationalities, all of that is uh, randomly assigned. Um, we also make sure, I, I like to do parallel studies. So you have a group that's the control group compared to the group that's doing the testing. And in our case, it's the water flosser, maybe with the ortho group or maybe with um, a particular tip. But the control group is brushing and flossing or just brushing or whatever we want to measure it against. And that happens simultaneously. I don't like crossover studies and I don't do split mouse studies. So I do parallel, randomized, controlled parallel studies. 
And uh, the data, we, we use established, recognized industry ind- indices that have been published in the research. So our plaque indices and the bleeding indices and the gingivitis indices are all established, validated indices. And publishing in peer-reviewed journals gives everybody the opportunity to evaluate it. It's out there. We also... I I want to say, Deborah, I'm I'm very impressed with um, the fact that there is so much evidence to support that Mm -hmm. the water flossers work uh, in the way that you say they're working. I wish more companies actually did um, substantiate their advertising claims with the kind of research that, that you guys have done. And for our listeners, if you want to have an easy access to some of these studies, you can actually find links to them on the WaterPick site. So um, that's really good news. I want to congratulate you guys on on doing that. Um, We're coming towards the end of our time, and I did have another topic that I wanted to talk to you about, and that is the cost of, of, of the product. And the reason why I'm really interested in that, I'm not sure if you saw it, but the New York Times did a big article recently about the sorry state of dental care in the U.S. I mean, we have a sorry state of health care, but we really have a sorry state of dental care. And there's lots of people who just can't afford to either, you know, properly take care of their teeth, go to a hygienist, go to a dentist, and they either go without care, they get delayed care in, in, in free dental clinics. And so I have Two questions. One is, how much are your products? And then the second one is, is Waterprick doing anything to help make this technology, which you just told us really works well, can help people to avoid um, uh, serious complications of um, gum disease? Um, Do you have programs to help people access um, your products? Well, let me answer the first one, first question first. The products will range. So there can be, uh, we have different devices, different number of tips. As you saw, said, you had the designer series, which is a, you know, a higher-end product and some different colors. But they all work the same, and that's the good news, because they can range anywhere from oh, $35, $38, depending on where you purchased it, up to maybe $120, $150. And again, we suggest the retail price, but the retailer's with the price out on how they want it. We also provide patient ed brochures to dental offices, clinics, universities, and in that case, they, they get some discount on the product if they purchase it as well. Um, as far as what we do to try to help the situation, is we're very involved with the university settings, and that's where a lot of individuals who don't have access to care may go for their dental work. So we work with the universities trying to provide them with either brochures or um, any kind of help we can in certain situations. And we do sometimes donate to to certain uh, groups and organizations. But it's an area that I I know well because I've been working with the American Dental Hygienists Association to try to deal with this and try to uh, get hygienists out there that are, um, you know, different education, higher uh, mid-level practitioners, we're calling them, and getting them out there to help too. And then they, in turn, would work with prevention and help access some of the devices for those individuals. And water flosser, you know, it's one of those things you can use with a manual toothbrush to keep costs down. You know, you can get one of the lower um, devices that 
maybe not, doesn't have all the same features and benefits, but as I said, works exactly the same way. So they're going to get the same results with the manual toothbrush, and hopefully that would help. But, you know, you've given me something to think about. I, I you know, do want to go back and think of how we might be able to do some things a little bit better because, you know, nothing pains me more than seeing children who can't get dental care and uh, can't learn in school because they're uncomfortable due to some dental decay or something like that. Oh, I'm sorry. I was uh, uh, I was uh, I was on mute. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I want to I want to thank you very much, Deborah, for um, spending time with us and for um, sharing all the information about the benefits of uh, water floss. Um, and um, and I'm glad that I was able to give you some food for thought about what we could do for people who have limited resources but have huge needs in the in the area of dental care. So thank you very much for joining us, and um, good luck. Thank you very much, Pat. It was a pleasure. <laughs>